The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to today's episode of The Bright Side. My guest today is birth doula and photographer Carson Meyer. Thank you for being here. I wanted to have you on because we actually haven't met before, but we were at a dinner um, that a mutual friend of ours hosted, and I remember that you spoke at that dinner. And I didn't know at the time that you were a doula, but I just remember when you were speaking, I felt like you were, the way you carried yourself was so graceful and you just had this really calm, nice presence. And I thought, I don't know, I just was really impressed by you that night. And then when I found out you were a doula, I thought, oh my God, that's exactly who I would want to have as my doula if I ever have kids one day. That is so sweet. Thank you. I feel the same way about you. I'm always in awe of people who can do podcasts. For me, they're like, (laughs) they make me so nervous. And No, it makes me nervous too. And I think that like interviewing people is definitely a little bit of a challenge, but I think the the thing is just getting to know and learn about the person you're going to have on so that when you have them on, you, you know, have good things to talk about. Um, and speaking of which, I just, I read last night your LA Times interview that you did. Congrats on that. Thank you. It's pretty exciting. Really, really exciting. And the author who wrote it is so amazing. Talented. So yeah, it was talented. a, it was a great admire. Yeah. As a, as a mother and a writer. So it was, it was really exciting for me. And so now, obviously, because I read that piece, I learned a lot about your background, but of course, for our listeners, I want, I'd love for you to share how you decided to become a doula. Like what, what made you passionate about childbirth? Yeah. So it's kind of a, a, a long journey. You know, I think part of it maybe even starts at my own birth or my mother's birth of me. And then you know, I, I went to NYU. So I, I was at Gallatin where you create your own major. And that really gave me the opportunity to explore my interests. You know, I, was I like, never knew that that was an option, by the way. I read that yesterday and I thought that's so cool that they offer that. I feel like all schools should be like that. A hundred percent. As an 18 year old applying for school, like, I mean, and I, I, knew what I liked. I had a lot of interests and got A's in my classes, but I really was like, how can you expect me to decide what I want to do? I'm 18. Like I haven't even seen, I haven't left my small town and really of course. Seen the world been able to explore that. So going to Gallatin, I got to really, um, you know, just try out different classes and explore different things. Um, I was really drawn to child development, um, alternative medicine, art therapy. So I was kind of building this major around the mind-body connection, which I think was ultimately sparked, that interest was was sparked through acting classes, which I had art also started taking when I was 18. Okay. Um, and so that, to me, I, I was always a creative person, and um, but I, I knew so little about the actual craft of acting. And so when I, I went to the school called the Ruskin acting school, um, Mm -hmm. in Santa Monica. And it was a really the groundbreaking experience for me. I had never been in a setting like that where, you know, small group of people are just being truly vulnerable and honest and, you know, crying in front of that. Well, that that's like what you, the comment you made about um, making a podcast, I think that about acting. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people assume that acting is just something you can kind of stumble into and be good at and the same with, you know, interviewing people or hosting, but acting is so, to me, that's so impressive when people can do that. Cause like you said, you have to be so 
emotionally vulnerable yeah. and, and in front of all these people. Totally. And be willing to connect on a deep level and reveal yourself. And I grew up in Hollywood. So I kind of thought, you know, it's like, oh, beautiful people and charisma. And it's like, wow, it's just so much more than that. Right. It's like, a, mm-hmm. I think some of the best actors have a true desire to, to, and, and need to fulfill that inner connectivity. And there's something really cathartic about the craft. So that was like, it felt like being in group therapy, honestly. Like I was, yeah, I was going to say, I sort of think that through therapy when I'm getting, when I'm really digging deep in therapy, I'll think to myself, this is what you would have to do if you wanted to act because you have to really get in touch with those feelings that you don't even necessarily know are there. Yeah. It's about building the whole person, right? Not just learning the lines. And that was a, a, a huge gift for me to have that training. Cause I don't think all acting classes are like that. You know, I think that some are are more geared towards how you say a line or how you look. Of course. And just like there are so many different types of actors. Yeah. Yeah. So that was an, that really opened my mind of like how the mind and body, how we can utilize um, creativity as a form of therapy as through, you know, using catharsis um, and, and creative expression and healing modalities and um, how, you know, our thoughts impact our bodies and our bodies impact our mind. And it's so cool that that's what was a part of your journey to this profession, because you would never think that acting would have let but it makes perfect sense when you explain it that way. Yeah. And people, I think they're like, God, you do some of these random things. And I'm like, there's a through line, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but so that was kind of the beginning. And then I did that through, through college. I continued my studies and, um, was, was always, Actually, that's not true. I was never fascinated by birth. I was always very fearful of the concept of birth. I thought others were crazy. I was just like, what? Like, who would grow this thing in your body and then push it out of your vagina and raise it? I just, Mm -hmm. I always had so much respect for mothers, but the the thought of it was so humbling and and frightening. I think most uh, our generation or, you know, for, for many generations, we've been raised to fear the process of birth. We've been, it's been kept a secret from us. Mm. Um, I think what's so interesting about what you just said is that I, I don't know where you have siblings. I know that, but where do yeah. you fall in? Are you the oldest, youngest? Well, no, you're not the oldest. No, I, I so I have two older sisters and then a little okay. brother. So I'm okay. in the middle. You're in the middle. (laughs) Because I think that for me, I was the oldest of four. And I think that I I remember my mom uh, really involving me a lot in the process when she was pregnant each time. I had a book about childbirth and it had all these illustrations of what was going to happen. And I was so obsessed with that book. And I used to just pull it out and read it by myself, you know, through probably when I was six or seven years old. I just still found it so fascinating. And I am not afraid of childbirth whatsoever. But my sister, who's younger and may, I don't know if she had that kind of, um, like if my parents really read that book with her, she had that experience. She's a lot more afraid of, of childbirth. And I wonder if the reason I'm not is because I was made to be so familiar with it when I was that young age. Yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely believe that. I think that when you know, I have some clients who have their children there at their birth, like the older children, you know, Mm -hmm. and and some, I think are that they don't like the idea. I think it's scary or might be traumatizing for the child and to each their own. But I do think that the people who have an early life exposure to the process, it it does just feel more um, familiar and less scary and less unknown. 
I think it's pretty cool. My dad's best friend was also an OBGYN and I remember his wife, it's kind of, I don't know if this is bizarre. It's kind of, I'm, and now I'm sharing this on my podcast, but she also had filmed her, the birth of her son and we all watched the video mm-hmm. like several times. Yeah. We would watch it. Amazing. And again, and yeah, so it's kind of interesting now that I think back, cause I really never spent the time to think yeah. about this, how much they normalized that process Incredible. for me, but that isn't probably the case for a lot of no. people. Cause and, like you said, it's so private. To say that the footage of birth is something you remember because I had never seen footage of birth. I mean, I'd never attended a birth right. or being a doula, but I'd never seen a video. I've seen, you know, obviously movies where the woman is, the water breaks and she's panting and screaming in the Hollywood kind of depiction of it, but I'd never seen a live footage of birth. And what had happened when I was in college, I saw the business of being born, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with the documentary of Sir Ricky Lake no. um, and Abby Epstein uh, produced this documentary about giving birth in, um, America and what, what the business of childbirth looks like. And, um, it was made about 10 years ago and really changed what birth looks like in America. I mean, it was, became an incredible educational tool for so many birthing people. And I think inspired a lot of people on their paths, um, as birth workers, but that film, that documentary, shows real births, like non-scripted live births, water births, hospital births, cesareans, like you see it all. Mm-hmm. And so that was my, I was eight, no, I don't know, but a few years into college. So 1920. And that was the first time I had ever seen a real video birth, like you're saying, and it floored me. I was hysterically crying. It, I just was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Wow. Why had mm-hmm. this been kept secret? Like why, did I, why were we not shown the incredible strength of of a woman's body and mind, right? And what we're capable of. It was just really beautiful to me. And and I had a very emotional reaction, which I realized was not what, as you probably read in the article, like, I just looked at people with children differently from that moment on, because I, I'd always had that respect for them. But now it was, it, it came without that, like, judgment of like, why would you do that? I was just like, more in awe. Yeah. I mean, I obviously, I also don't have kids yet, but I do think it's, it's hard to fathom what your body's capable of. I think until you go through that experience, because all of my friends say the same thing. Once they have a baby, they're like, I can't even believe my body was capable of doing that. And I think that's why, I mean, for me, it's so important to have kids at some point in my life just to have had that experience because I feel like it's almost this cool rite of passage that we as women get to experience if we choose to. And I don't know. I just, I, it's something that I definitely want to experience at some point. Um, what exactly is your work as a doula comprised of? Like, what are you, what's your involvement in the birth process? Yeah. So as a doula, I, I kind of wear a bunch of different hats. You know, I help educate people. So where in the pregnancy would you become, would you become it, involved? It really in? depends. You know, I always okay. say it's never too early. It's also never too late. You know, some people decide pretty late in their pregnancy that they want that support. And, um, you know, I think I've accommodated people a week before their due date and the day of mm. conception and sometimes even earlier before conception. So there, there's no right way. I mean, ideally the more time you have to build that relationship, the better, but as a doula, what I helped A is just, I'm like kind of a go-to support person for questions. And, um, I'm really just there to provide a, a physical and emotional support 
in pregnancy, I, I do, um, like I said, education, right. Childbirth education, um, preparing people for kind of from the birds and the bees of the labor process to, Mm -hmm. Um, what to expect in the hospital setting or home birth setting, creating that birth plan or birth intentions, um, and and helping them find out what is best for them, right? What they need to know and what they need um, to feel safe. Doulas are non-medical, right? So unlike unlike midwives, we don't provide vaginal exams, we don't do blood tests or monitor the baby's heart rate, right? We're really just there for their physical and emotional kind of as support. And you work as an advocate as well. Yeah. So, so the, the prep is, is one thing. And then okay. the hospital is kind of where um, we play a different role, but um, equally important role is um, going in and providing comfort measures. So massage, right? Different techniques with um, the birth ball or the rebozo, helping optimal positioning for the mom um, and baby. And then um, acting as an advocate, I think, which is what you're you know, saying is, is making sure everybody's needs are being met in a hospital setting, right? There, um, any interventions or things that come up are being thoroughly explained to the client. Um, because often doctors in the hospital are, they either don't show up until right as you're about to actually begin delivering the baby, right? Like it's, it's, you're not seeing your doc, your doctor's not available and on hand the entire time you're in labor, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, there's nurses are are really there to oversee a patient's medical health, right? And and unfortunately nurses don't have they're they're not staffed to be able to come in and provide that uh support, whether it's massage, you know, they they come in here and there, but a lot of nurses have multiple patients on their hand that they're looking after. Uh, right. And you don't have one consistent nurse. Yeah. Shift changes, right. of course. So having mm-hmm. consistent care, that's really just um, there. And and they're at home too. You know, I think one of the, the most valuable things about a doula is having someone there to labor at home. And for somebody who um, wants to labor at home before getting to the hospital and reduce the amount of time being in the hospital, you know, having a doula to rely on and, and turn to for, for questions and comfort measures and all of that is, is really valuable. I don't know if, if you plan to have kids at some point or want to, but if you do, or if you did, what would you, if you could have your ideal, like say you have a low risk birth, what would you do personally for your own birth I hope to have a home birth one day. And you know that I work a lot in the hospital and I work, I support home births as well. You know, I, I really respect and understand why so many people gravitate towards the hospital mm-hmm. and speaking to right what we are grow up knowing and and being taught and shown about certain things really informs what feels best to us mm-hmm. um and for most people it's it's a hospital that's the most popular place to give birth i think that's a lot of people's default um becoming a doula has absolutely informed my decision of where I want to give birth. Would right. That's why I wanted to ask yeah. you, because I feel like you've now seen and experienced so many births more than, you know, any woman who would be giving birth to, you know, nobody's having that many kids. So it's kind of cool to hear what your preference would be. Yeah. I think, you know, midwifery care, there's just nothing like it. It And I, you know, there's so many incredible OBs who I, I really love working with and truly admire. But unfortunately, that model is just not set up in the same way. You know, midwives really have the luxury of getting to know their patients, um, talking about nutrition, you know, spending an hour 
per appointment versus the 15 minutes and, and dealing with preventative care, um, mm-hmm. which we don't really get in our medical system. We can have a whole other podcast on kind of <laughs> our, our U.S. healthcare system, which we know is, is problematic on so many levels. And I think to be able to have um, one-on-one support from a midwife that is not, it's not a cookie cutter, right? You, right. They have the ability to see people with their unique needs and not just mm-hmm. through policy. Yeah. I mean, I think just through some of my friends' birth stories uh, and pregnancies, I know that in a lot of cases, you know, there may be something that is a little bit of a red flag or something concerning that's coming up in an ultrasound. And I feel like my friends have had to really be their own advocate to get to the bottom of what those things are. So I think kind of to what you're saying is like a midwife may take that extra step and kind of go above and beyond to just dig into what yeah, potential things could happen. And I think the their requirements don't always rest upon kind of the the what the policies of the hospital are or what mm-hmm. their kind of insurance policies might be. I think that, you know, exactly. That's kind of what I mean. They're constrained yeah, by insurance and, totally. and, and there's the system policy. There's a very mm-hmm. oppressive system right. behind them that makes kind of that um individualized care a little more difficult. Yes. Um, have you had it? Any challenging births? Anything that was like a little bit more complex? I think birth is always challenging. You know, yeah, it's sometimes. Well, you hear sometimes about these women who just the kid just falls out. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I've been at those for sure. But I, I could also bet that the moms are like, "That was challenging, right?" Right. <laughs> you know, even though the forty-hour labor mom, I'm sure you know really would love that experience. I think that comes with its own unique set of challenges, right? I think sometimes a fast birth, which, you know, definitely can be seen as like an easier birth comes with um, a different type of fear, right? Sometimes the faster the birth, the the less time we have for our endorphins to catch up with the pain, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and so, yes, there's definitely been some of those really um, quote unquote, like easy. And I hate saying the word easy because who am I to say that their birth was right? Easy? Right. <laughs> but yeah, that, that easier by comparison. Seamless, a little. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, some some are really hard, really really hard. And I think birth is a rite of passage, and mm-hmm. it always presents certain challenges and kind of it's like a hero's journey, right? There, there's always going to be something there that really asks you to pull from, you know, your, your your strength. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I've had home births become hospital transfers and those are always difficult. And I think anytime, you know, birth never goes as planned, but I think anytime that somebody really has to diverge so extremely from what they had intended, I think there's a lot of heartbreak that can come with that. Yeah. Um, I love what you said in uh, in your LA Times interview. You were sort of the interview was a little more angled towards how people are dealing with birth now that coronavirus is a factor. And um, one of my best friends actually is lives in New York City, and she just gave birth to her daughter yeah. two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, for example, you know, her mom lives here in LA, and all along their plan had been to have her mom fly to New York and spend the last month with them before they had the baby and be there for the birth. And of course they had to really alter their plan um, as she was only allowed to have her husband at the hospital with her. Um, And I I actually think in a way, 
I mean, I can't speak for her, of course, but I was thinking to myself, in a way, it's almost sort of nice that you have this intimacy when it's just like you and your partner. But how have you seen the changes since coronavirus has become a factor and in terms of what your role is and and like just how is it affecting? Yeah, you know, I think that intimacy is really beautiful. And I think especially in postpartum, you know, there's a lot of cultures that um recommend that kind of intimacy and isolation in the like mm. the 40 days, right. That really say like, kind of keep your space small and, and intimate. And, um, so I, I think, yes, to what you're saying, there's absolutely like some, some upsides and beauty in that, but I think, you know, doula support is so crucial in the age we live in, um, especially for women of color, you know, we, ha- we are facing a, a global health crisis around uh, or, or a U.S. crisis. I mean, it's global, but it's specifically bad in, in the U.S. Um, for, for Black women who mm-hmm. are significantly more at risk of dying in, during childbirth than a white woman. Um, so oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Th- four times as wow. likely. And that's, that is Black women with the same exact level of education as a white woman. So it has, you know, not a lot to do with the socioeconomic. Right. It's not socioeconomic. Yeah. It's, it's rooted in our kind of inherent in cultural systemic racism in this country and um, the experience of what it is like to be a black person in this country. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I know, you know, last week's news was devastating and it's kind of undeniable that, that it, it, it looks different and it, and it, that stress alone adds to the risk. So, you know, I think doulas are a luxury, but for some, you know, I think it's really important to, to acknowledge that for some people, that fear of going into the hospital is Mm -hmm. heightened depending on the color of your skin. Um, and having an advocate can be the difference between life and death for some, right? Wow. That's someone to really be there to listen and mm-hmm. um, advocate for them. So that's kind of like, I guess, on the more extreme, right? I think there's a lot of danger in taking support people out of the birthing process. But are you seeing a lot of women who are choosing to switch to a home birth plan right now? Or e- Yes. No, you know, again, like I said earlier, I I think we live in a, or I know we live in a culture where we feel really safe in a hospital Mm -hmm. and feeling safe is so important. Um, Mm -hmm. And also, you know, just certain risk factors that make the hospital your only option. And and then switching last minute comes, you know, that's easier said than done, right? Mm -hmm. You know, finding a new provider, finding the money, like all it's, I know this must be such an overwhelming time for people who are expecting children. And so I think home birth is a great option, obviously, as I said earlier, like it's what I would want to do, but I don't think it's for everyone. Mm -hmm. So I am seeing that shift, but I think that, and you know, New York, it's ironically, they didn't have the partners, but now the doulas are back in. Um, because I think they saw that again, nurses are especially in postpartum, right? When, when we, we weren't, we didn't have partners allowed here in California, or in Los Angeles during the postpartum period. And who, you know, for a woman who just had a cesarean who can't lean over and, and grab her baby, who's passing her her baby every time she needs to feed or helping with diaper wow. changes, right? right? You don't have the staff for that in our hospitals. Um, so I, I think that the changes have been on all level, but I think like to the, you know, extreme, it's been, it's it has impacted some people's health. And then just support wise, when a baby's born, a family of two turns into a family of three. And I think mm-hmm. ask the father or, you know, partner to hold space 
for the, the birthing person and the baby and kind of put their own needs aside is a lot to ask. And I think when you mm-hmm. have doula present, whatever's happening, that doula can be a container for the entire family. So if that kind of answers your question of what I think is some of the biggest loss. Yeah. And I love what you said, because on a, just to kind of put a positive spin on everything that is going on right now, I love that you, what you said, I'm going to quote you now, what you said in your your LA Times interview, there's so much inherent hope in birth. It's symbolic of our future and a new beginning that life goes on. And I think that's such a good mentality for people to have if they can at the moment, um, not just people who are, you know, about to have yeah. children, but also just in general. Yeah. It's a really... And and I think on the bright side um, mm-hmm. is, is really, A, I'm seeing so many parents step up and want to learn more, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't have their doula there. They're like, what can I learn to be prepared? What can I do to be my own advocate? And and I think it's like, whatever's going on, there's, there's so much value in that. Um, and just kind of wanting to become more involved in the process. Right. So it's sort of more maybe like on your part, a shift of, um, into even more educational because you can't be there and and preparing of course. Yeah. So that, that's been really great. And, and yes, it is. I mean, the, the, the women or people that are giving birth right now are harnessing so much strength and Mm -hmm. really, I think cosmically, like there is a reason that these babies are choosing to come earth side right now. And they're, going to bring a new world, but also they have the, the strength, I believe that that is needed in this time. And so do their parents. And um, again, like we said, birth is always a rite of passage. It's always entering into the deep unknown. Right. Um, and now- what a time to yeah. be giving birth though. Yeah. Oh <laughs> it's my crazy. gosh. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk about your skincare brand, See in the Moon. Yeah. I love that name. Um, and so your hero product, I believe, is a is a scrub. Is that right? It's the Malibu Made Body Scrub. So right now we're just one one skew. Uh, my initial thought, as soon as I heard that you had this line, was that you should do a. Um, like some kind of a balm or something for women, pregnant women who, I mean, I'm sure they can use your scrub, but yeah, I was thinking that would be kind of like a next, a good next product. Yeah, I know we have some, some ideas brewing. Um, I'm sure small business. So it's just been taking some time, but, but yeah, the, the scrub is, is great for belly massage and it's, what was your inspiration for that behind that brand? Um, so something I, I'd been doing in my kitchen for many years, my mom mm-hmm. is an environmentalist and was always very active, um, with the NRDC, the natural resources defense council. And so growing up, you know, I think way before we started talking about clean beauty, um, she was very skeptical of the products that I was wanting to use on my skin as a, as a young developing woman. Um, and so that was kind of like my rules were <laughs> like no painting your nails and the windows closed and mm-hmm. you know, don't, you're not allowed to use this makeup or that. And, and at the time, obviously it was a huge bummer, but now looking back, I was like, she's so ahead of the game. And, and she totally was because I, I often regret that I didn't have that knowledge when I was growing up. Like, I feel like I ate so much that I wouldn't have eaten if I had known, you know, we're so lucky to have the education now. So lucky and that it's becoming more and more mainstream. Um, Mm -hmm. but that was what drew me to making it. And it was a product that, um, I relied on for my sensitive skin and just like gifted and never thought of it as a business, but really just, you know, people would come for it and I would make it for friends and family. 
And my little brother actually challenged me to start a business with it. I think after becoming a doula and further seeing, you know, as you're saying, like how the, the need for, for these clean products that nurture. Right. And you can totally integrate that into what else you're doing work-wise. So that's, yeah. So that yeah. it's, it, we, we launched about, um, a year and a half ago, two years ago almost. Oh, okay. Well that's cause I know that the products have been very, or your product has been very well received. Yeah. Had a lot of recognition for it. Yeah. So overwhelmingly positive and I'm, I'm so grateful for the amount of support and, oh, and congratulations that's huge especially in such a short period of time very exciting I want to ask you some of the um sort of rapid fire questions that we do on the show if you're down for that what would you say is your best quality as a friend um I'm very loyal I'm, I'm a Scorpio okay. so I'm fiercely loyal most of my friends are from before I could walk <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> It's always a good sign when someone has had friends since they were, since their childhood. Would you describe yourself as an optimist? Definitely. What is your worst habit when you're feeling down and what do you like to do to turn that around? My worst habit, I'm a nail biter, just terrible. Really? Like the one thing I can't, I just can't kick. But, um, so that's like a short-term coping mechanism. But the thing I think that really helps me to turn my mood around is physical activity. And even though it's like so hard for me to get into the mental state where I actually want <laughs> to do it. I can uh, relate to that. <laughs> I never regret it. Like it's just, especially in this time being at home, like just even taking a walk, like it's just night and day. And every time I'm like, how do I not just wake up and do this every morning? And why do I have to fight myself to do it? It makes me feel better to hear you say that because I'm the same way. I know that I should and I know that I'll feel better when I do, but I have to really like, it's a struggle. What is that about it? <laughs> Why? And then I like it while I'm doing it too. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes no sense. But every day I have to start from scratch and like give myself a pep talk. <laughs> <laughs> Same. What's a book that you love that's made you feel happy or uplifted? Phil Stutz and Barry Michaels talk about optimism. They're, um, therapist and they have tools and coming alive, which are their two books. Okay. More like self-help books. I, I like rarely read fiction. I, I've read a lot of birth related books, but they, I love self-help books. I love self-help That's pretty books. much what I read too. And they have incredible tools that are, are all about kind of that, like lifting yourself up and, and finding that optimism. They're, you know, traditional kind of talk therapists who, in my opinion, have like broke the mold and okay. really they're, they're, they're very spiritual and, and really utilize tools in very different ways than any therapist that I've traditionally kind of. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love that. Thank you for that one. Do you have a song that you like to listen to, to put you in a good mood? Yes. Um, <laughs> the song Jesse by Carly Simon. I, I ask each guest this and everybody has such a different answer. And I love, because that's, that's the case with most people. It's not a song that necessarily is about something, some something happy or positive but it's just that's their song yeah just like right now my boyfriend gets so mad because I could play it like 500 times in a row (laughs) I love it okay well it's gonna go on um we have a playlist called rose-colored glasses that a bunch of our listeners subscribe to so it'll be added to that playlist um I like to ask because one of the purposes of this podcast is to have a positive impact on other people's lives. And so I like to ask each guest if there's anyone in their life who's going through something challenging right now, 
or has just been really there for you um, in a positive way that you would want all of our listeners to send some kind of positive energy or thoughts to today? I think just taking a moment to like acknowledge just an amount of loss that's happening right now in the world. Um, people who are having to birth and die alone, right. To, to give birth and to um, be at the beginning and, and end of these really big life transitions alone. And then all the people that are out of work and afraid for the future. I just, I think there's, there's so much, so many people who need, there's, it's so complex and it's good and bad. And there's, there's no one, but I do think that just really, yeah, sending love and the positive energy to our healthcare workers and to the, uh, there are a lot of people that are suffering, but I think now we are shining a light on the suffering that already existed and it's becoming magnified. And I think it's asking us to look deeper at it. Yeah. I think that's a great answer. Well, thank you so much for doing this and being here today. I love chatting with you. This was so great. And I feel like everyone's going to get a lot out of what you had to say. So thank you. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Take care. 